We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,365 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Amson, alongside the very bundled up and the, the very the very chilly uh, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I, I'm not chilly. Uh, I may look chilly, and you may be able to see uh, the condensation as I breathe out. But because I've got so many clothes on, I'm nice and warm. Um, how are you? I'm just fine. I, um, I I was actually I was just reflecting on the uh, the lovely story that you were telling me about your uh, your grandfather's house uh, growing up as a as a kid and how you had the 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 actual construction of the house that was able to uh, help you with the uh, the dishes of choice. We'll 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 just say. Well, yeah, um, we didn't have a freezer. Uh, you know, I grew up. Uh, in a house that didn't have a freezer. We had a refrigerator, which had a freezer compartment. So ice cream was only something that happened when the ice cream man came round. So, you know, my ears are still finely attuned to any noise that sounds like an ice cream van. And to this day, I could be mowing the lawn in the back garden, all that noise, and I would still hear the ice cream van, and I'd do rush out and, and get them. But... Yeah, those those houses had no central heating, so they didn't have radiators in every room. Some mornings I would get up and scrape the ice off of the inside of my bedroom window. But it meant that there were parts of the house where you could leave food that would otherwise be in the fridge and it wouldn't go off because it was sort of below 10 degrees most of the time. And they also had larders, which had an out door drawer in which you could put a big lump of ice which you you would have delivered um or even create yourself but uh, most of the time people had to have them delivered but then we you know things developed things moved on and we we got through that we didn't die uh we learned how to survive uh, and we didn't even think we were surviving if you compare how i was brought up and possibly even your good self even though you're considerably younger to how young people today, what they expect there to be in their domicile, they would shit a brick if they went back in time and had to live the way we did. You are not wrong. Well, you said something about ice cream. I know I played this in prep, but we'll we'll do it just because it's it's one of the antics before we actually you're get started. That, you're gonna need that bleep button. Well, that's okay. I'll I'll keep it on standby. But this is this is what modern ice cream will be. This might appear to be your typical bowl of vanilla ice cream but it is in fact made from plastic waste. The ice cream was developed by Eleonora Ortolani, an artist and designer who wants to change the way we think about food and what we consider to be edible. The confection still has to go through extensive testing before it is available for human consumption. But until then, Ortolani is sharing her creation through an exhibit called Guilty Flavors. So Guilty Flavors is what I believe is the first sample of ice cream made from plastic waste. Actually, the vanilline contained in the ice cream is what it's coming from, the same plastic as we can find in bottles, plastic bottles. And I did that collaborating with bacteria um, and enzymes that actually naturally evolved to digest plastic. The process enlists bacteria and enzymes to digest polyethylene terephthalate, or PET, a plastic commonly used in bottles, packaging, and food containers, and turn it into vanillin, the molecule that gives vanilla its flavor. 
Dr. Joanna Sadler, a biotechnologist from the University of Edinburgh, who provided the specifically engineered bugs for Ortolani's project, says the potential of this process goes beyond vanilla ice cream to other flavors and even other food items. Once you break down um, the, the plastics, in this case PET, once you break it down into its building blocks, we call those monomers, you can, you can turn those into many, many different things. Sadler says she has received backlash for her research on degrading and upcycling plastic for use as feedstock for microbial growth. Okay, I've had enough of that. Uh, yeah, me too. Go ahead. Um, I've, got, I've got three things, really. First of all, it's Edinburgh, not Edinburgh. I can't stand the way that's pronounced in Sorry. an American accent. Sorry. The other thing that occurred to me during that is anyone who's ever had a colonoscopy will have been given uh, an extreme laxative that they have to drink in copious amounts the, the 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 day before the procedure and i always because i've had several of these unfortunately i always thought it tasted like someone had melted down vinyl records um as in you know things you listen to it was disgusting uh, and that was supposed to be a vanilla flavor. So m maybe that's what they're using in those bottles of powder, or the, the, the powders that mix up into these huge laxatives you have to take. And the other thing is, it's called guilty flavors. In, in prep, I said, well, what's the main course? Is it, um, it going to be uh, roast panda or something like that? And you said, no, it's going to have to be non-meat. And that suddenly occurred to me that maybe they're going to get us to eat asbestos or some other form of thing that they can't get rid of. All of this smacks of a deeper plot. And I, I really have got my tinfoil hat on now. With the mRNA gene therapy, which is minutely changing everybody every time they have a, have a booster, um, who knows what they're going to do next in terms of, of uh, you know, fundamental changes to humanity. They have to add bacteria into that stuff once they've broken it down to its building block, monomers, as she called them. How's that going to affect people's gut, flora and fauna? You know, that that's a very careful balance. And you can easily make someone very, very ill very, very quickly, not just by eating too much fruitcake, which happened to me last week, as I told you before, but by adding something to your diet that you just can't cope with. This is just madness. Everyone always believed for a long time that when you digest your food, it breaks it down to an atomic level. But that's not true. We've now found that your body knows which bits it needs. So it'll take a protein out of a steak. It'll take some fat out of a piece of bacon and put those things where you need them. If you need to store energy, it doesn't need to break things down to the very smallest level. It can actually use things a, a more complex level. So th this is just stupid. It's stupid, woke, bullshit, fake science that some vacuous twat from somewhere in Europe thinks is a good idea. And when you introduced it to me, you said it was a British inventor. Well, she ain't British. Well, no, um, she's not natively, but that's where she does all of her research and, and everything. Well, she can f*** off, off back to wherever she came from and do it there. Feed them bastards plastic. We're not interested. F*** right off. You were kidding about the bleep button this early, were you? No. So it, it is there. Uh, apparently, we're at a, quote, tipping point. Uh, speaking of the, you know, the, the catastrophes there, we're at a, quote, tipping point that if Europe does nothing, then we're going to all into, enter into a new ice age. They've been screaming about this for, I think, since, what, the 1970s or something, uh, that we were going to go into a, a new ice age. Well, they were screaming about it in the 70s. Then it became warming. Then it became climate change when people started to catch on to that. Now you can't deny that the climate is changing. But now we're headed back into another ice age, quote ice age. But if you don't believe that, then the cooling is the warming is what I was actually told by someone once. Yeah, yeah. It basically, as things warm up, the concept is that as ice blocks or ice shelves melt, then the cold air that they release heads south and it, it makes us cooler. So it all depends on where the warming is happening. That's the way they pitch it. So it's, it's the release of fresh water held in ice on the poles 
flowing down south and making us all feel a bit colder. Did you hear about that chunk of ice that broke off of uh, Antarctica that's uh, that's actually moving now that is 12, uh, 1,200 square miles? It's twice the size of, of Greater London. I did hear something about it, yeah. Uh, and, you know, these things may well be happening, but what we've got to do is stop feeling guilty about it and start actually living our lives to the best of our ability preparing ourselves for a bit of rough weather here and there and and just teaching our kids how to uh you know cope with cold cope with rain cope with wind it's inevitable i'm afraid this planet has been changing ever since it created you know ever, ever since it came into existence and events like this have happened before and they will happen again but Every 10 years, you get the same alarmist message, which is all to drive a completely different business-based narrative about what they want to sell you next. Well, and what they want to sell us next is what Bruce and I talk about on the upcoming uh, Tech Tuesday, and that is a carbon passport. Have you heard about the carbon passports? Did I mention well, that Well, they've, they've, been, they've been everyone who's got a carbon footprint, if you're being socially scored, they can work out how much... Uh, carbon you're responsible for. I'd like to see, I mean, wasn't Xi Jinping in San Francisco uh, a little while ago? They, um, they cleaned no, up he, all the... He was in San Francisco uh, or San oh, Francisco, but uh, at yeah. San Francisco, it's a, I think that's a former US city, but yeah. yeah. You know, they, they cleaned up all the, the human feces so it didn't stink like a really bad toilet in Glasgow. That's a train spotting reference. So they cleaned all that up and they put lots of communist Chinese flags on the streets. Not a single stars and stripes to be seen. Well, there was one. There was one. Was but there? It was, it was in the back, yeah. It, but there was uh, one. It was one of those right. little ones like you put on a, on a tombstone somewhere. You know, it's like one of those. Yeah. As head of state for the uh, People's Republic of China, who produces more carbon than any other country per capita on the entire face of the planet, that twat shouldn't be allowed to travel anywhere. Give him a carbon passport. Let's see how far he gets. He wouldn't even be able to leave his bleeding office. That's true. That is true. I do have something breaking here. We, we don't really have to necessarily go into this, but uh, the BBC has just announced that they're going to be increasing their TV license next year from the current rate of 159 pounds to 169 pounds and 50 cents. And that will be uh, a $3.8 billion annual license fee uh, funding to spend. Oh, the trouble is, if you don't pay it, you can wind up in jail. That's the problem that we've got. I'm going to have to look into that uh, in in terms of how I can still get my entertainment without having a uh, a license fee to the BBC because that is one organisation I do not want to fund. In well, actually, really any form of taxation at the moment, I 100% resent because it's all being spent in the wrong places and for the wrong reasons. So, yeah, I think the BBC needs to re rethink that because otherwise there will be no funding for the BBC because it'll get close to a, an en masse uh, fingers in the air message to the BBC that we're not playing your game anymore. Why aren't people doing that now, do you think? For the reasons I said. Why, well, there's several reasons. You have every reason to, in my opinion. There's, there's several reasons. There are certain people who've had their head up their asses and their brains in neutral for some time, who haven't realised just what a propagandist organisation it has become. Um, you've got people of a certain age, certainly anyone past 70, 80 years old, although actually they get free TV licences up to a certain age, after a certain age, um, or maybe that was rescinded, but it was certainly, it, it was policy. A while back. The other reason is, as I said, you can wind up in jail. You can wind up with big fines for not paying your TV license. And no one needs that shit. No one needs that kind of nuisance, you know, interference by a government agency in their lives. So they just pay it. I suppose it's one of those things, kind of like uh, buying milk or buying petrol for your car. It's just one of those things where you think, oh, I have to have it. So, you know, I have to buy it. Yeah. 
But on that note, actually, even though I use a lot of milk, we don't need milk. No, uh, I'm, 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 I'm with the it. vegans on this one. Cow's milk it is designed for to make a, a baby cow double its weight every week. So humans don't need it, which is why I think your pumpkin pie using coconut milk is is a much more healthier idea. Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to give that a try. Um, we were talking about pies in in prep for those that are wondering. Oh, I, I forgot to plug. I'm sorry, but I, I'm not going to get into the uh, the long the uh, the long drawn out uh, explanation today. But I will just say that for those of you that are interested in supporting us, we would greatly appreciate your support. The link will be in the program description down below. Marty, we talk about preparedness on this podcast from time to time. It's been a while since we've actually talked about that. Maybe we should again since we're we're in the winter months now. Um, we don't have to do it right now, but I maybe we should go through and and do one of those long specials like we used to do uh, about one topic and we just stick to that topic but uh, one of the things that are being promoted now is they're telling UK residents to stock up on battery devices in case of a grid meltdown uh yeah i mean how many of us have got something that we could flash up and power our houses with the way in which here in the UK our fuse panels are situated and access to them you can't if you wanted to plug a generator in and connect it to your consumer unit so that in the event of a blackout you at least would be running all of the outlets in your house you can't do it unless unless you're a highly qualified electrician and uh willing to damage a bit of brickwork to get to the the bits you need to get to so so what's the alternative batteries batteries um are probably the most inefficient and polluting form of energy especially the lithium ones that you twats have got in your cars these days so if they're making these um these suggestions they are planning to to make it happen you know these blackouts and brownouts will happen well, I think it's a good idea, regardless of whether or not we're being told that there's going to be a blackout or a brownout I, or a rolling blackout, whatever, or grid failure. I think it's a good idea for people to do that just out of their own sense of, of self-preparedness anyway. So Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree. But the, um, the what we should be looking at is there should always be a fail safe. Should always have a fail safe. Now, for instance, we're lucky. We've got a house that had a chimney and a fireplace. So we've reinstalled a wood burner. The wood's not cheap, by the way. When I, I mean, yeah, there's ways and means of going and collecting wood for nothing, but that's quite time consuming. And in the words of uh, a YouTube star, ain't nobody got time for that. Well, um, actually, you will find that if there is no electricity and the grid is down, you will find that you will have more time to do such things. Absolutely, because I wouldn't be able to shine my ass on my office chair and do my actual job because no internet, no no work. Simple as that. So yes, I would have the time and I would get into my petrol car, actually diesel car, and go and drive to the nearest common land and pick up bits of wood that were fit for burning. So I have spent some of this morning splitting logs from the wood that was left over from a tree that had to be trimmed down. It wasn't cut down, it was trimmed down because some of the boughs were becoming dangerous, both on a, a walkway or pavement uh, and towards our houses as well. So arborists came round, but the dickheads cut at whatever angle they felt like cutting at because they were expecting all the wood to go into a chipper, uh, which means that when I place it on my splitting block, the angles are a bit awkward. And swinging the splitting wall, I have missed a few shots just recently. But yeah, um, you need to have a fail safe. You need to have some way of keeping your lights on, because uh, walking around in the dark is dangerous. And you need some way of warming your home. And the way they're building places nowadays, there's no chance. You are so reliant on electric and gas. And like I said, I think we we spoke about it at the beginning of this podcast and in prep. My grandfather's house uh, had two fireplaces, one in the, the front parlor, one in the back living room. Uh, it had, by the very design of the place, had places to keep food food chilled without electricity and it was coal or wood fired to heat the water you know now in the uk you can't even have a back boiler so even if you You're have got a me. fireplace no you wow. can't 
get be because they're they're afraid they I don't know what they're afraid of. Um, because I, I very much doubt that they'll ever get to such pressures that um that that it would cause an explosion. But a back boiler to to me makes the most perfect economic, environmentally friendly sense. You know, You're heating your home. Sorry. No, just really quickly, the U.S., that was um, a big thing that started about 15 years ago is they were doing the uh, the outdoor uh, boilers that were like that, and it would do everything. It would heat your home. It would uh, keep your, um, uh, your water warm. It would do the warm water heating through the walls and the floors and everything, and it was much more efficient to do that. Yeah, but nowadays, everyone's more concerned. Houses that are built on at ground level are these heat wells or, or whatever they're called, where they dig down so that oh, you've got geothermal, yeah, geothermal. Because once you get to a certain depth, you're at a steady 10, 10 degrees. So if the, the and it, and it's the temperature difference between the surface temperature, which could be zero, for instance, if it's cold, and ten degrees Celsius um, at the bottom of the well, that difference in temperature can let them use all kinds of convection power generating even i mean that they're, they're not a bad idea but you know having a nice coal fire or a wood fire that heats your water which can then be pumped around your house to to heat your radiators to my mind is it is, is if you're in the right place it's the best way to do things it is actually i have two of those options uh, already installed and a third one actually um, which i can tell you about later but uh, have a real stone fireplace in the uh, in the living room and it is a lifesaver in the winter time especially i mean it cuts down I, the system that that uh, i have in here already it's it's very very efficient and it has saved quite a bit of money but adding the uh, the real wood fireplace in the living room and you know just as well as i do cuz you've got the wood burner uh, in yours as well there is no substitute for that wood heat, is there? That cozy. No, warm it, heat. it's it's a very comfortable heat. Uh, it's a bit soporific. It it does make you want to go to sleep. Apparently, so does my voice. So, um, not to the American women. They they uh, actually they perk right up when you talk. So okay. But the other great thing about these cast iron log burners, in terms of preparedness and and having a backup, is that if you get a cast iron pot, now you can go all out and spend a stupid amount of money on something by Le Cruzier, which is very, very expensive and a horrible bloody orange colour normally. Or you can go to the middle at Lidl, as we did, and pick them up really, really cheap. I won't so, hear of that. I will not, I'm sorry, I will not hear of that. Or you can purchase something called Lodge, which is the oldest American foundry that makes cast iron cookware for all of your cookware needs. Just saying, available wherever. <laughs> You can find large. I'm not. I'm not sure where these ones from the middle at little came from, but I think it was probably China. I could go and get the box, but what would be better, of course, is if we yes, we still had cast iron foundries uh, working and producing goods more locally. Because either way, either way, I don't want them. I don't really want my um, cooking utensils and pots and pans traveling seven thousand miles from China or 7,000 miles from the United States. I would rather they were produced in the north of England, such as Sheffield or, or somewhere like that. I can't say I disagree with you. However, um, mine travel about 5,000 miles because they come from the foundry in Pennsylvania, which is where the company is that I just mentioned. And to be honest with you, those products will last, well, they'll outlive all of us. So uh, I, is, We've already used it. ours both externally and internally, cooking big stews, uh, slowly over the course of the day on top of the, the wood burner, just adding stuff as you go. So you start with the stuff that needs to soften off first, your onions and your root vegetables. Obviously, you're going to brown any meat off, whether it's chicken, beef, pork, lamb, in a pan first before you put it in. You tend to put that in towards the end. But even, you know, either way, it's just a really good, efficient um, green way of cooking because the it's heating your house it should be heating your water and you're cooking on it you you can't get much more of, of, of an efficient use of, of a fuel source than that can you well apparently they're going to sell you something that's better because uh according to what they say this produces carbon you see why they picked carbon now yeah yeah well, like i say um issue 
Xi Jinping with a carbon passport first. We can do a bit of a study as to how far he's allowed to travel on his carbon passport, given that he is ultimately responsible for the filthy air pollution and the gross amount of carbon output that China has. Indeed. So until those individuals start to do something about it, don't be made to feel guilty about whatever your um, largely unpolluting and complying country is doing. One thing that you mentioned there about uh, a grid down scenario uh, or a blackout or, or whatever it would be would uh, was when you said that you wouldn't be able to sit in your office chair and do your work. Well, we do work from home these days. And you know, Marty, we are in the middle of cold and flu, excuse me, COVID and flu and cold season, because we have to throw that one in there now. And one person that is affected by this now is, of course, uh, Pierce Morgan. And you see, he's caught COVID again. Uh, Again, I think this is the third or fourth time. Unfortunately, he's had to work from home because we're in the age of just working from home now, aren't we? I'm just going to explain what I'm doing sitting here at home uh, in West London. Um, I've never done a show from my home before. I've uh, got COVID, tested positive for COVID this afternoon. And i be honest with you, I didn't know what the new rules were. I didn't know if you're supposed to just crack on and go to work and merrily infect all your co-workers or be what I thought was probably the more responsible thing to do, which is to uh, try and do it from home. So here we are. We've got a, a great two-man crew with me. You both recently had COVID. Um, so that's why they're with me. And we're going to try and get through it probably tonight, tomorrow and Thursday. Um, and there's no reason why we can't, because let's face it, work from home is the new thing, right? It's a new thing. It is a new thing. Uh, and it started for me almost immediately that COVID uh, was upon us. There was a few days of discussion in the office, which was a massive office. It was a huge floor space, close to 150, 160 people in there. Very airy and light and plenty of space, but the sort of Petri dish in which if someone had a stinking cold, it would spread right the way through the building. And the sensible thing to do is if you are full of cold, uh, snotty nose, cough, spluttering, sneezing, you know, headache, that kind of stuff, is stay at home till you feel better. Because certainly the deep dive Ned into the common cold and other viruses suggested that it's kind of your body's way of saying, have a rest, take a break. And believe it or not, there was a scientific study that Ned discovered, and I'm sure he's mentioned it on past podcasts, where the people in white coat say that actually the common cold fights off other viruses because it causes all those things that kill viruses to occur, which is that heightened body temperature, which viruses can't can't cope with. It burns them off. Um, you protect yourself from inhaling stuff by lots of mucus in your in your airways, those kind of things. It traps bugs and all kinds of stuff. Sorry, without getting too gross, it, it, it kind of helps you fight things off. So the best thing to do would be to stay at home. But then again, there's an awful lot of things that are missed out on when you're not face to face with people, when you don't have that human physical interaction that you have in the office. So if you're fit and well and actually still have an office because the company haven't sold off the real estate for some other purpose, which has happened to an awful lot of places, then I would say get face to face with your colleagues as often as possible. But why is why is Piers Morgan still testing? He'd have woken up with a cold. I know I'm a bit sniffly today. I tell you what, I'll do a test. That'll give me something to talk about. That'll I'm help me them. stick with the narrative. I'm finding them in the uh, the checkout lines at the shops. I don't know if you've seen that too, but I'm seeing that. I'm seeing masks there again as well. I right where I live, I don't know who she is, but she parks her car in our little cul-de-sac and gets out of the car and she's wearing a mask while she's driving. She's picking up shopping and stuff, wearing a mask, and she walks off wearing a mask and comes back. Now, I don't know if she's a carer, for instance, who's visiting someone who's vulnerable or whatever, but the time to put the mask on if you don't want to infect someone is just before you get into their house. You don't have to wear it constantly. So there are some people who are what I like to call hard of thinking 
um, who will will continue to wear a muzzle and uh, comply. And I find myself, uh, if I'm walking out of my office and I look out of the window and I see this f***wit getting out of her car, I'm literally shouting. Now, I've got triple glazing, so she can't hear me, but I'm shouting at her, why the f*** are you wearing a mask? You, ugh. It it winds me up, and I I um I had to take my demented aging mother in law for an appointment at uh, an eye clinic about cataracts, and this was during the time of masks. And I'm sat in a la- sat in a large waiting area, and the receptionist said, "Oh, there's masks there." I went, "Is there? Thank you," and went and sat down. And this woman behind said, uh, "You're supposed to wear a mask." I said, "No, I'm not." said, well, we're just being responsible. I said, no, you're being compliant. You are just fueling this ridiculous behavior. Thankfully, then the the people came out and took my mother-in-law off and I had to accompany her. But no, I wouldn't wear a mask. And I'm, I'm glad that I had that chance to at least tell one person how stupid their behavior is. And if we had, I don't know, uh, 500,000 people doing exactly the same thing, then you might start to make a little bit of a difference somewhere. And I, I remember during that time, I was talking to somebody in the state of Utah, and they actually had to go to a, uh, a government building to get some lease renewed for, uh, they, they own some uh, some mines, right? Some some like silver mines. And they had to get a lease renewed for their, their mine. And while they were there, the government workers told them, you need to put a mask on because the, it was the, the mandate for the federal buildings in the U.S. The person said, no, I'm not doing that. And he went into this whole big deal about kind of what you just did, uh, saying that, no, you're just being compliant and you're fueling this hysteria and I'm not going to be a part of it. And look, I'm just here to pay my $15 to get my lease renewed for my property and I will be out the door. And he stood to it. You know, he, he stuck to it. He didn't he didn't move on it. And eventually the uh, the security people came and, and tried to remove him from the building. But as he's being walked out, as he's waiting on the, you know, the security to, you know, kind of escort him out the door, all the government people, all the bureaucrats behind the desk are all saying from behind their masks, they're saying, oh, we agree with you. We agree with you. We understand what you're saying. But then they look at the, the government people, they look at the bureaucrats and say, well, then why are you following any of this? Because if they didn't, they would lose their jobs. And it's disgusting that those kinds of choices were, well, they're not even a choice, really, are they? That they were, you know, forced on people, people who were mandated to get jabbed, people who were mandated to uh, wear masks, people mandated to basically social distance when it was all completely unnecessary. The best thing that could have happened was mentioned right at the start of the pandemic, which was let's let herd immunity, original definition, not the f***ing new one, take its course and work. And that never happened. Otherwise, we might have got through this a lot faster. Part of, I'm going to change subject slightly. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Because I, I don't even know what subject we're on at the moment. We were, um, we were on COVID. I was going to get into the uh, the inquiry with Boris Johnson, but that's okay. It's not necessary. No, we, we, we can talk about that in a minute. But I want to mention this now because it, it, it's significant and it's linked. The money wasted, and I'll only talk about the UK, by the British government on the furlough system, on the PPE, on the the way in which they the Nightingale hospitals and and all that kind of stuff, the damage it did to the National Health Service in terms of waiting lists, because as soon as you tested positive, you had to go home and stay at home for two weeks and until you'd had three negative tests before you could return to work. Huge chunks of the NHS staff who are obviously exposed to viruses and other people's ailments all the time were just not there they just weren't in the hospitals because they 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 probably they were probably asymptomatic as well it didn't matter because they are overworked as soon as they got some of them at least as soon as they got the excuse to have a couple of weeks off they bloody well took it uh, and so did an awful lot of people in in jobs other jobs you know, it, it was a, a cast iron excuse. Sorry, can't come in. I've got COVID. I'm fine, but I've got COVID. 
all that money wasted. And then on top of that, if you add in the snake oil mRNA gene therapy and the billions that cost, the government wasted lots of money. Now, in 2016, we voted to leave the European Union. And indeed, one of the claims made was that it meant an extra £350 million per week for the National Health Service. And this topic of conversation came up on I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And currently, one of the celebrities in that show in the Australian jungle is Nigel Farage. And um, he was, for anyone who doesn't know, he was an MEP. In my head, that always stood for metalised emulsion polish, which we used on board ships to make the floors nice and shiny. But he actually is member of the European Parliament. And he was eff- effectively the the flagship leader for our leaving the, the EU. And when he was successful and the referendum came back with a, a leave answer, he disappeared. He went off and, and hugged closely to the medical healthcare insurance magnate, Aaron Banks. He also went and saw his pal over in the States, Donald Trump. I digress slightly, but it's important background information. So part of this conversation uh, in the jungle was, well, what's happened to the NHS? Where's all the money gone? Where's this $350 million? Well, it was never going to be there because the taxes that were being paid were being given to the Ukraine or wasted on on COVID measures. And so there was never a chance. But Farage's reply to this question was, well, the NHS is a bottomless pit. And that sealed the deal for me in that I was mistrustful of his motives. But because he could And rather than give the real answer, which is, well, all the money's been spent other unnecessary things, he could have said that, but he didn't. And he didn't because he's still afraid to speak out against the narrative. He said, well, the NHS is a bottomless pit. And that to me says, my mate Aaron Banks wants to make sure everybody's playing medical healthcare insurance in the UK rather than their national insurance, which actually should pay for the NHS. So the two things, as in the topic overall, kind of overlaps. But I did just want to mention that because Farage has tried to say the right things about Brexit during his time on this show, where it's just, it's a clamour for airtime. All the different contestants are trying to get as much airtime as possible. And he could have used it more wisely. But the producers have edited it so that in his discussions with Fred Syriax, a French chef who lives and works in the UK as a TV personality, he seemed to get the upper hand of the conversation every time. Now, I've run on for a long time. I'm glad you let me make that point. I will now shut up. Thank you. No, you're fine. Boris Johnson dismisses claims that he wanted the UK to let COVID virus rip through the old and die and let the bodies pile high. That was one of the things that was brought up in the inquiry. He denied all the claims. It's not just Boris's desire, was it? No, no, no. No, it was everybody else. all of the hedge fund managers uh, and pension pot managers because the more pensioners you have pop their clogs, the less money you have to pay out every month. Uh, And, uh, you know, these people deserve a happy retirement. They did not deserve to be locked away from their families in care homes that became, in effect, prisons to be visited and have to wave at people through a window or hug through some plastic, plastic. ridiculous With the arms cut out. as demonstrated on this morning by Holly Willoughby and I've forgotten his name now, but he's a disgraced... Uh, Phil Schofield, as a matter of fact. You see, that's, how, that's, that's yeah. how fickle um, entertainment and showbiz is. You can forget someone like Phil Schofield in an instant. So, no, they deserve to have... There he is right there. Yeah, yeah. Never liked him. Found him boring, everything he'd ever done. Uh, And it makes you wonder how the hell so many arsehats wind up with the top paid jobs in entertainment. 
I, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I'm more entertaining than that prick. And I could do the job without swearing. Why have they not come to me? Why is it always these kind of individuals that have got some seedy, dark past? Um, it's because the That's casting why. coach, the casting <laughs> coach is very real. We talked and, about that at one point in yeah. time on one of our uncensored podcasts that never actually aired. We did talk about that. As a matter of fact, we might want to go back and might, might want to brush up on some of that. Is that the one? Well, a certain royal family member was talked about it. it did we never air that? No, we never aired it. Oh, wow. It was me thinking that we had. No, we, we, we probably should. It we went should probably out have to, a listen to it again yeah, first. Yeah, it went out. I still have them. It went out to uh, private subscribers, uh, but it's... It did not make it to the uh, the usual airways because we were we were exper- It was one of those things we were experimenting with. But yeah. now that we have our subscription service, we can do those and we can put them out just for our subscribers only. If you want, that sounds like a plan. Right. Next topic: Russia targeted hundreds of MPs, civil servants, and academics in an eight-year hacking campaign. Spies working for the security agency, the FSB, which was the formal, uh, formerly the KGB snooped on private emails and conversations in in a sustained attempt to interfere in British politics. You asked why they picked these people to be in those positions? That's why. I'm sure it's got a great deal to do with it, but most of it is, um, you know, perverse sexual proclivities that people have that get them favours from other people with similar, you know, passions. But if you know... Your enemy is going to try and surveil you, ambush you, attack you. You can, We can make that assumption, can't we? We can make the assumption Absolutely. that the FSB and whatever the Chinese equivalent is will be doing exactly that. The Iranians will be doing it. Even the CIA, you'll be spying on us as well because we spy on you, I'm pretty sure. I can't confirm that, but I'm pretty sure we do. So everyone's spying on everybody. So there's a there's a prime opportunity to either tighten your internet security up or feed your enemies a complete pile of crap so that all of the information they're getting and that they're thinking is wow this we've we've done it for centuries haven't we misinformation yeah. Yeah. in terms of warfare the art of warfare is deception and it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that China or Russia or Iran or any of these rogue nations would be spying on us. And it shouldn't surprise Cheltenham and it shouldn't surprise the government. What they need to do is tighten up on their security. That would be the proper thing to do. But you would have to make sure that the people that are in charge of that security are not compromised themselves. And with everything that we've looked into. The only way to do that is completely empty the House of Commons, the House of Lords, uh, and and Whitehall, uh, put them all on boats in the Thames, then sink the boats. That's the only way to prove? do it. What would this prove, exactly? It would be the only way to make sure that there were no subverted people oh, inside I see. government. I see. Oh, okay. So that, that's the only way to figure it out. And okay, that's paraphrasing right. one of your generals talking about Vietnam, I think. It, yeah, could could possibly be. All right, uh, let's get into uh, last topic here. I, I wanted to give you a chance to speak on this because I don't think you were wrong when you brought this up. Uh, there's a uh, a new series out there called Squid Game. Uh, it was a it was a Netflix TV show for a while, and it was quite it was popular. The most popular, yeah, Netflix show of the year. Yeah. Everybody was watching it for some reason. I except don't know why. Well, except for me as well. I don't know why, but Korean TV and Korean pop is just sweeping through our younger generations and they love it. They love every minute of it. I don't know how or why it's feeding what they seem to want out of entertainment, but it is. The concept of Squid Game is like the Hunger Games where Which- you're in... I think that's where we're headed, by the way, is the Hunger Games. Well, for their entertainment, maybe. For the absolute super genius lunatics that seem to be running the world at the moment, that that, that may wind up that that's their form of entertainment. Or, or a solution to a problem. Oh, you're, you're hungry, you're starving, you're impoverished. Um, I tell you what, if you do this, you might get to, to live well and your town, your village, your community might get to live well. 
if you do the following things. Um, so yeah, what what were you going to say about Squid Game? The, well, the I was going to say, yeah, they've, they've decided that they're going to do a second season and they're going to do a video game on top of it. Not only are you going to get more entertainment out of it, you're going to be able to take part in it as well. Uh, well, I don't want to, thanks. Even though I could probably do with it, what was it, 4.4? Four six million it or something is, like that. Yeah, there's four hundred and sixty four hundred and fifty six contestants, and they will compete for four point five six million dollars. Yeah, yeah, I could do with that money. I'd like it, uh, and if I was fitter, I'd probably be able to have a good go at it. But no, I won't be watching, uh, engaging in it in any way because this is it's normalization of first of all a fictional film TV series. Uh, which was horrific and dystopian, into a real-life reality TV competition. And next step is this is your life. This is real life, and you're in this situation. You know, yeah, we you were, should always look, sorry, God. Just on your point there, we, we were discussing and we're going to talk about it on our upcoming Tech Tuesday. We talk about the new Grand Theft Auto game. And I don't know if you've seen that. I don't know if you've seen the um, the trailer for it. Maybe I can get I it have, up here. It's extremely realistic. It um, is. I, it is. I've watched some of the trailer. Uh, when you look back to what the game looked like when it first came out, which again, I am proud to say, despite being a gamer, I have never played Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. I and I would never games. play it. Yeah. The whole concept of of being a criminal um and having to commit criminal acts to gain points and levels within a game is is disgusting. It's a break. It, I I am the most I'm not an atheist, but I am the most anti-religion person you are ever likely to meet. I despise formal religion, but at least all of the um, religions that are out there have a moral code. This game, Grand Theft Auto, is is a tool to break down those moral codes and deprive people of their moral compass. It's a great big magnetic node that drags their compass away from a true path to one that glorifies theft, murder, violence, all of those criminal activities that are portrayed in the game. And now that the graphics look like real life, because they're pretty close, that's an image that people don't need in their heads. For years and years, I heard people say, oh, yeah, playing this game or that game will affect your mind. As long as the game has an idea of right and wrong in it, and there's lessons to be learned within the game, such as... If you commit crime, you know all the the role play games where you're asking questions of uh, an NPC guard, for instance, and you're not getting what you want, so you kill the guard. Next thing you know, someone spotted you. Another character has spotted you, and and there's a price on your head. So the lesson from that is: don't commit murder because you know it's wrong, and you'll have all of society fall upon you. But when you've got a game that reward you for bumping somebody off or stealing or you know whatever then that is not a game that anyone should really be playing we were discussing the uh, the the relevance that it has to modern everyday life now if you look at the breakdown of law and order that's happening in uh, well i would say all across the west but uh, specifically in the us and the uk if you look at these um these wide scale uh, looting things that you know these looting events that happen uh, i was um i was watching something the other day and i, I mentioned it yesterday i watched a gang of <clears throat> youths right you know i'm doing the air quotes youths all with black balaclavas they ran into a louis vuitton, uh, louis vuitton store in i think it was in new york or la and in 30 seconds, uh, a mob of these, uh, you know, a flash mob of these uh, these criminals ran into a Louis Vuitton store and walked out with $250,000 worth of merchandise in just a couple of seconds. You know, w- within w- less than a minute, this happened. And you see this in th- this type of behavior that's that's glorified in, in games like this. Uh, again, I'm asking, how long is it before we actually hit, as you're saying, it's, it's desensitizing people. How long is it before we actually hit the Hunger Games? I say we're not far from it. No, I don't think we are far from it. Uh, and so it's just one more step along that path that people 
will be all too willing to take because for some reason they they got into the original Squid Game on Netflix and and now they're going to follow this reality competition. I've got to say this because because it winds me up. I know someone who, in all other respects, is extremely careful with money and um, responsible, but would cut your arm off for a Louis Vuitton or um, uh, what are the other ones? Burberry, handbag. Prada, you know, all the rest of that Yeah. Why? You said it was worth 250000 That's what the retail price is. It's, oh, it's worth, worth it's worth nothing. it's worth next to nothing. You you can you can put your you can put your stuff that you need to carry around with you in a plastic shopping bag, which has probably cost you ten pence nowadays. People are putting way too much value, yeah, way too much value in stuff just because of the designer label that's on it. Yeah, we all like to have nice things, and usually it's a case of quality. If you if you're paying for that extra quality, and the item will last you ten times as long as the cheap version, then you're probably making a saving over a long period of time. But um, yeah, they set themselves up. I'm afraid these outlet stores for designer labels set themselves up. But of course, they'll have been insured. You know. They'll have been insured yeah. for theft. They'll have been insured for all kinds of things. So at the end of the day, it's other people who pay for insurances that now have their premiums hiked because the insurance companies would have paid out on that £250,000 of, yeah. of retail rubbish. Yeah. Well, um, I have been... another point to make, but I can't think of it. Right well, that's that's <laughs> okay. That's okay. We'll go ahead and call this one done because uh, we're we're at time for this afternoon. But that's uh, that's fine. It has been a great conversation, my friend. And I will I will throw in this last point. Out of all the places that these thugs and these these criminals loot, the only place they don't loot and they never have and they probably never will is a bookstore. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless, of course, they've been listening to you and realize just how expensive some of these books are. Yeah, do you have any idea how much I can, you know, how many books I could buy for 250 grand? Good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It might take care of a few of them. Yeah, it might take care of a few of them. Yeah, that's about right. That, yeah. For some of them, yeah. It's been a great conversation, my friend. We'll see you next week. Yes, you will. Possibly more than once, but we'll talk about that later. So, we Well, will. I've got some time off coming up soon. Uh, yeah. I've, I've got at least 11 days off over the Christmas period. Okay. So uh, we'll have plenty of time. Very good. That'll do it for us for today and this week. Thank you for being here today, my friend. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. 